Today, we'll look at Matt Walsh, who goes to Nashville to speak to Democrats about the gender mutilation of children. Will they actually consent to being good people or double down on insanity? We'll talk about that. And then we'll look at the viral ad campaign that's been going around the Internet and was just recently showcased on the Super Bowl. We talked about the He Gets Us campaign in the past. And today, especially in light of Valentine's Day, we'll look and see if this viral ad campaign that wishes to reintroduce people to Jesus actually has the goods to help us understand what love really looks like. You might sense skepticism. And then finally, we'll look at a conversation between Ben Shapiro and Father Frank Pavone. This is the Catholic priest who put an aborted fetus on an altar in his church and then was defrocked as a result of that. Well, we'll look at what Frank Pavone did, and more importantly, a viral moment in this conversation between these two that I think is very valuable for each and every one of us. We'll talk about that and more today on Indie Thinker. This show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. Now, if you are expecting the economy to get better because our politicians are actually going to be fiscally responsible, well, then you will be waiting until Jesus returns. So I would expect that you probably have to get a little bit better plan than that. And perhaps that plan is maybe investing in real estate or making sure to purchase your own home so that you can have that financial security. If you're going to do that, you need to go to a trusted source, somebody that will not just use gimmicks and lies to try to get you through the door and try to get money from you, but somebody who will help you and give you customer service and do so with integrity. And that's our friends over at Element Home Loans. But you need to go over there to see it for yourself. So you need to go to KBMTG and let the Kevin Blair team serve whatever needs you have, whether that's refinancing or purchasing a new home or just getting pre-approved for a home so that you can see how much buying power you have. But again, to do that, you have to go to KBMTG.com. And when you do so, let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Happy Valentine's Day, which uh, is the worst national holiday we observe. Unless my wife is watching, then of course it's my favorite holiday next to your birthday, baby. Um, Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, But it does give us the opportunity to ask the question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. What is love? It is important for us to ask this because love has to be perhaps one of the most abused words in the English language. Sure, the L word like and literally are pretty abused frequently, like literally all the time, but love is the most abused word in culture. We say that we love our new shoes and we love our dog and then we say we love our children, but certainly we don't mean the same thing. When I say I love my food, I'm saying I love how it makes me feel. When I'm saying I love my child, I'm saying in spite of how they make me feel, I love them because those little demons can make you feel all sorts of things. Trust me, if you got them, you know what I mean. But this is one of the reasons I have such a disdain for Valentine's Day, not because appreciating and showing love is vain. In fact, if celebrated correctly, a day to emphasize and honor those you love would be a great thing. Unfortunately, our modern culture has so little understanding about what love actually is that it's a little confounding. So we have slogans like love is love, and we have left-wing gender ideology that, that teaches us to do nothing but defame and destroy and manipulate the most beautiful lives that we have in existence, the, the youngest among us. And it's almost like you can't trust those deconstructionists with nice things because those guys are always breaking stuff. So in movements like the trans movement and in other things, we're seeing love expressed in a way that we haven't in the past. 
And, and love is one of those things that we are most confused about in society. And Valentine's Day provides a great opportunity for us to discuss it. And as you can see from the article I'm about to show you, Time Magazine is definitely a cultural institution that is deeply confused about the subject of love because they're writing articles like this. What monogamous couples can learn from polyamorous relationships, according to the experts. Now, already I know what you may be thinking. What makes somebody an expert on polyamory? And does that make them an expert on love? Uh, do you have to have a surplus of STDs, an incredibly low self-esteem, or just an incredible lack of moral values to be an expert on polyamory? Whatever the case, as always, we'll wade carefully into the waters of credentialism here when it's the legacy media throwing around the word expert, but let's give them a shot and let's see what they have to say. The article continues and it says, Polyamory, having more than one consensual sexual or emotional relationship at once, has in recent years emerged on television mainstream dating sites like OkCupid and even in research and experts who have studied these kinds of consensual non-monogamous relationships saying they have unique strengths that anyone can learn from. Consensual non-monogamy can include polyamory, swinging, and other forms of open relationships, according to Terry Conley, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Michigan who has studied consensual non-monogamy. While there aren't comprehensive statistics about how many people in America have polyamorous relationships, a 2016 study published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy found that one in five people in the U.S. engage in some form of consensual non-monogamy throughout their lives. But these relationships can still be shrouded in stigma, and people in polyamorous relationships often keep them a secret from friends and family. Often they're scared of losing their jobs, not getting a job, losing family or friends who won't respect them anymore, or scared that their children will be taken away, says Carrie Jenkins, a professor of philosophy at the University of British Columbia and the author of What Love Is and What It Could Be. But Jenkins, who participates in polyamorous relationships herself, cautions that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to relationships. One impression that I don't want to give is that I think polyamorous relationships are better for everyone, she says. We're all very different from one another. All right, now I'll stop right there to keep myself from vomiting and hopefully to keep you from vomiting because, trust me, the relationship advice gets way worse. But already we got one little piece of advice here, which is that there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all relationship. In fact, just like we used to have skinny singers and now we have Lizzo, uh, relationships come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. They come in the shape of an actual functional relationship and dysfunctional relationships, relationships laden with uh, insecurity, STDs, and an incredibly high rate of uh, breaking up within a short period of time. See, these are all the kind of great relationships that we need to be forging for ourselves. So how about this? We suggest just right off the bat here that it is correct. Not all relationships are the same because there are good relationships and there are incredibly unhealthy relationships as we would hear if we kept on reading the article about polyamorous relationships. So yes, there's more than one way to skin a cat. True, there's lots of things you can do, but should you do it? Like, there's a lot of ways to kill a person or even kill yourself. There's a lot of ways to drive a car. I live in Tennessee, and trust me, there's a lot of people who buy into this philosophy, and they don't understand what the passing lane is for on the interstate. The question is never how many ways to do something. The question is what is the right way to do it. So please allow me to speak to those who have not yet found the strength to conquer their lust problems and who think their libido is a great way to make decisions as an adult. So here's the first problem with this idea of polyamory and 
all relationships being equally valid. Sex, especially a lot of it, has the tendency to produce children, and children need a mom and a dad, not a mom and a dad and a dad dressed as a cat. How can I speak with such assurance on the issue? Because every single study on the subject shows us this. Not to mention, the stability of these thruples, as you might imagine, is pretty low. According to a survey conducted by Psychology Today of 340 couples, the average lifespan of a relationship that's polyamorous is eight years or less. Bringing children up in this would really be just another way to destroy children that need a mom and a dad. So this is nothing less than selfishness, a selfish way to get your rocks off and a horrible way to bring a child in the world. And that's the second thing here. Love is not selfish. Aristotle said this, that love is admiration. Love is not merely a feeling. Love is not merely an emotion. So when you say that you love someone, I think we can learn something from Aristotle here. And the thing we can learn is that when you truly love something, you're saying you admire something in, in that person, or there's something different about that person that really captures your attention. So in other words, love is not homogenous. By virtue of the fact that it is admiration, you cannot truly admire yourself. That's the opposite of love. That's called pride. That's called being selfish. This is why purely sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage have nothing to do with anything other than having sex. And wouldn't you know it, Psychology Today also reports that it's hard to find honest partners in relationship built solely upon promiscuity. So polyamory is just another word for pride, for selfishness, or if you want to use a Bible word, adulterer. People say having options makes you feel free to make decisions and allows you room for nuance. It's a favorite leftist word. Really? So you think freedom is more important than commitment and faithfulness? I love you, so allow me to tell you the truth. If you prefer not to get married and live the bachelor lifestyle so you're not straddled with kids and the responsibilities that you would have if you were married, sure, you'll have sexual escapades with a trail of broken dysfunctional ladies that were desperate enough to give you attention and desperate enough for their own attention that they were willing to lower their standards to sleep with you with no strings attached. But that's all you'll have. When you're 80 and all alone and in your room reflecting on your decision making and all of your bad tattoos, you'll have this legacy. And all it will have to show for it is a life of kids who wish that they had a real man for a father and a host of people who resent you and a ton of blown potential. Which brings us kind of to the third point. Yeah, sure, enjoy your freedom. But when you finally realize there's higher virtues than just being free, you can join the community of real men who are married and caring for kids and changing the world as a result. And once you realize real love is sacrifice, morality, and a greater joy that can be expressed than what you find in mere feelings, then you'll be able to celebrate Valentine's Day with the rest of us. And you'll be able to do it, by the way, with real pride. And we'll talk about love a little bit more as we jump into our stories today. Well, if you're following me, and if you're following, much more importantly, The Daily Wire and people like Matt Walsh, then you saw that just recently that we have experienced quite a victory in the state of Tennessee. I'll get to that in just a moment. But that victory came in the form, among other things, of Matt Walsh appearing before some politicians to discuss with them about the horrors of gender-affirming care, while we also heard anecdotally from the other side about how important gender-affirming care is. To, to have in people as young as eight and nine years old because we all know that those guys make the best decisions ever. 
So while the Democrats were left crying out for experts, they didn't actually present any experts at the at the hearing that that was uh, being held about this bill. And this is House Bill, by the way, 0001, I believe. And this is a bill banning gender affirming care in the state of Tennessee for for minors. Um, and, and so when I say that the left and the Democrats didn't bring up any experts whatsoever and that they were crying for experts, I mean this, that what they had was they had a whole group of people sharing their personal stories, but no actual experts on the subject whatsoever at all. And they were asking for expertise from the other side while presenting none of their own. And even when the other side brought experts, this is what they did with those experts. Are, are you a pediatric? What was your specialty? Dr. Hamada. I am board certified in, uh, I can't even talk, obstetrics and gynecology as well as family medicine with a focus on sports medicine as well. Representative Clemens. No endocrinology or pediatrics? Or yeah, that's part, well, pediatrics is part of family medicine, family medicine, and then also uh, with regards to endocrinology, that's a big portion of what we do in obstetrics and gynecology. And what's your formal training in that? Um, four years of medical school and residency with uh, oral and written boards. So as you can see, the cry for expertise and to bring real hard-hitting facts to this, to this hearing was absolutely ridiculous. Instead, the Democrats decided to present people like this father who has a transgender child uh, to, to plead the case for transgender people in, um, in, in the state of Tennessee. So, so I want you to hear this dad's kind of statements about why he thinks that you should be able to allow your child to, uh, to go through supposed gender-affirming care. So here's that. Now, I'm the proud dad of a transgender son in Tennessee. On the evening our son came out to us, I immediately told him I loved him, no matter what. Then I asked what he needed. Our first job was to help him socially transition, change his name, speak with family, friends, and to school. Sec you know, not only is it disturbing that a father does not have any grasp on reality, so much so that he is willing to argue this kind of thing before... Uh, a group of adults on behalf of his child. But, but the real disturbing thing here is, surprise, surprise, this gender-affirming dad has no understanding of what a dad is actually supposed to do. He said his job when he first found out that his child was trans was to help him transition. Well, that's your first job as a dad? This is a, goes back to the reality that even when a dad is in a home, it doesn't mean he's a dad or that he's actually doing what a dad should do because by the way, a dad's first job is to protect his kid. And often, especially if you have kids, you know this, to protect your child from themselves because they are wrecking balls. And I don't mean the kind of nasty Miley Cyrus wrecking balls. I mean the ones that like say, hey, dad, watch me jump off the roof kind of wrecking balls, right? They're, they're, these guys are destruction machines, especially if you have little boys, and I've got two of them. Um, given the opportunity to perform an act of self-mutilation outside of the affirmation of adults who should know better, these kids will probably do it. And here's why. They're naive. Kids don't yet understand the repercussion for their actions. And so the reality is, is that kids can't make the decision that we're requesting them to make when it comes to especially this one. Uh, and this was in a previous episode where I was talking about Chloe Cole, but the decision 
to, to become infertile for the rest of your life. When you tell a 16-year-old, whether it's a boy or a girl, you're never going to have children again, they don't care because they don't have any concept of what that actually means. They have no gravity of the weight of the decision that they're about to make, that they are dooming themselves to a life of being infertile if they ever decide to go off these puberty-blocking drugs. But all of this either escapes the mind of the simple-minded Democrat or they know it full well and they are just flat evil because all they care about is political power. So when they stare in the face of an expert, they can dismiss him readily and they can cry over this anecdotal clip of this dad saying that it's not his job to protect his child, it's his job to as quickly as possible trans his child. Now, thankfully, we have real men out there like, like Matt Walsh who is willing to testify on behalf of kids who desperately need the help. So here is Matt Walsh also being grilled on his expertise on the subject. Just curious, you, 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 you yeah. testified as to a lot of your own research, so I'm curious for what purpose you do that and what background you have to qualify you to speak to that. Well, Mr. my background that qualifies me to speak to this is that I'm a human being with a brain and common sense and I have a soul and so, therefore, I think it's a really bad idea to chemically castrate children. That is my experience. Um, also, I, I did, now it's true, I didn't, I didn't go to college, but I did go to school long enough to learn how to read so I can read the data for myself, and that's exactly what I've done. Now, there's a lot to say there about the fallacy of credentialism and people, you know, wanting you to produce all of your degrees before you can ever speak on a subject of any uh, of any value. Uh, and, and it's like, well, we do, we do still have that thing called common sense and common sense is what we can operate with in, 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 in the lack of pure expertise on a particular subject. This is, this is something that is clearly a fallacy in that the left loves to do it to try to obscure and to try to push away and to, and to try to disregard arguments that they don't actually have the capacity to undermine. And that's what we saw on display here. So, but pushing all that aside, because there's uh, one last thing I want to share from, our, uh, from the time at this hearing, uh, which is good news. It, pushing all that aside, though, uh, it's really important to understand that when you see leftists like these Democrats that attacked Matt Walsh kicking and screaming. Oh, and by the way, these, these leftists who are also undermining this, this doctor who clearly has expertise that these politicians don't. Um, when you see these these politicians kicking and screaming and you see these activists whining, what you know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that you are close to winning. And that's why you must push beyond it. You must push beyond the cries of intolerance and the cries of homophobia and transphobia and Islamophobia and whatever phobia or ist somebody is going to try to throw at you. You must push beyond all of that nonsense because on the other side of that are kids who desperately need your help. Kids who need somebody to speak up for them because their parents are not speaking up for them. By the way, this is a side note, but I think this is the thing we often hear too, is that if these parents want to consensually bring their kids to like drag shows and consensually, consensually have their children you know, brought to a, to a butcher shop to have their healthy sex organs chopped off or to have um, gender-affirming hormones shoved down their throat, then hey, it's a free country. But hopefully we know consent is not the highest value in a society of thinking people. Morality still exists, and that is what we should also judge our decision-making upon, what is right and what is wrong, and what is truly love, but unfortunately, we don't know that very much. But, unfor but fortunately, we are, we are seeing that some things are changing as we find people like Matt Walsh who are willing to display real, authentic 
love. Not the kind of superficial love we talk about all the time, but the kind of love that is willing to stand up, get all of those names called at you, and still do what is right. Now, that is real authentic love. And on the other side of that, you find real change. Because here's the final clip I want to show you from that hearing that I think we can all celebrate about. Seeing no objection, we are voting on House Bill 1. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Opposed? No. Eyes have it. Bill goes on to civil justice. So it passed. It passed. It is a time to celebrate because before long in Tennessee, it will be illegal to have drag shows for minors and it will be illegal to destroy the lives of children through hormone blockers and through uh, gender affirming hormones and through surgeries. It will be illegal and unthinkable to do in this state because of people like Matt Walsh. So beyond the slam dunking and beyond the owning of Matt Walsh with the with owning libs and all of that kind of stuff and defending his performance at Nashville, pushing that aside, the most important thing here is that kids will have the opportunity to actually grow up where they won't have this kind of social pressure on them to do something that will cause lifelong damage in them. And that is something to celebrate. And since we're talking about love, let me bring it back home just a little bit to say this, that real love looks like this. Real love looks like, like what Matt did, what, um, what Landon Starbuck did, and what others went to do there that day in Nashville. That's what real love looks like. I hope you hear this if you hear anything today, that it's important for us to truly define love because you can put that label on anything, and then it undermines what is perhaps one of the greatest virtues in all of mankind. And certainly, as we move further and further away from Christianity and the American West, and we move further and further from the God of the Bible, we are starting to define love any which way. And this is present, again, not just in the fact that we're moving away from Christianity, but that we pervert Christianity to be something it is not. And this is what we saw just recently in an ad that was aired during the Super Bowl. Now, we could talk a lot. Uh, about the things that went on at the Super Bowl. We could talk about dual national anthems and the fact that, hey, I'm all for it. I think we should have a national anthem for every intersectional identity at every single sports uh, game. In fact, I think we should have a pre-game show that's that goes all the way into the game that's about three hours long and it's filled just with anthems. And then I think we would... We would benefit from that because then all of the sponsors and the networks that are airing these shows and want to go woke will quickly understand how much of a tolerance the average American has for these endless national anthems. So we could talk about that, but we don't want to talk about that. We could talk about the fact that the uh, the Blue Angels were all female pilots and how amazing that that was and how heartwarming that was and how groundbreaking that was for each and every one of us to forget three seconds later that the people in those planes that we couldn't see anyway were women. Now, uh, maybe we could talk about that or we could talk about the fact that Rihanna, who has been an outspoken uh, supporter of abortion, was pregnant on stage, caressing her baby bump while also singing about how precious that little child in her womb actually was while she was holding that baby. Um, we could talk about the hypocrisy of her signing checks to Planned Parenthood to make sure that you can abort your kids. Or we could talk about the eye-rolling wokeness of the commercials. But I would rather just talk about this one He Gets Us campaign because it has a lot to say about love, but is it saying good things about it. Well, let's watch it.
All right, so there's that. I mean, what do you say about these clips? One of the things that bothers me about them, by the way, if you haven't seen the show in the past on this, um, is that it paints the picture of God, Jesus in particular, here as a utilitarian genie, that God will do good for me. That's why he gets us. So I need God to do good for me rather than I need God to make me good. It's a total flipping of what Christianity has always been historically and actually is presently. The reason that I bring this up here is, especially in light of Valentine's Day, is that it presents this idea of love that I think is deeply flawed, that we're seeing more and more and more in progressive churches and starting to seep its way into evangelical churches. This idea that Jesus just loved everything. Jesus was so indiscriminate and so undiscerning that he that he loved everything. He couldn't tell what needed to be hated or what we needed to actually fight against. Not Jesus, because Jesus was so blissfully unaware of everything going on in society that all he ever did was just love everything. There was no room for hate in God's heart because Jesus just loves everything. I mean, this is this is the idea that's being painted in this in this commercial. And you may say, Reed, well, that's not what's said, but it is what is implied. Because we need to keep in mind here the implication of the facts on the ground, which is that we are growing up in a culture right now that by and large rejects Christianity as true. And this has been that way for a while. And in light of believing that the things that are written in the Bible about Jesus and that the person of Jesus is actually real and true, we are growing up instead with a Westboro Baptist understanding of Christianity, that all Christians are finger pointers and all Christians do is only hate things and all Christians do are only against things. But in the meantime, we're also seeing a society that is continually creating things like gender-affirming care in children that we should be standing up and fighting against, so much so that now Christians, if they ever stand up and they stand up for something good, they're seen as hateful and unloving. But see, that is the problem with this video, is it paints the picture of just this very myopic view of love so that we are not seen as loving for actually doing that which is right. And so the question I have at the end of the day for the people who created this video is this, is that if you say you love but you love things that you should hate, do you really love? And how can you say that you love God or that you get Jesus if you love the things that Jesus hates? See, if you don't have room for a Jesus who actually has the capacity to hate things, then you have a dumb Jesus that doesn't have a cerebral cortex, you know, a prefrontal cortex to actually understand reality. This is the kind of stuff that we see on Twitter all the time by progressive Christians like this Kevin Young, who, of course, needs to be known as a doctor. So he puts it in his Twitter profile and he said this, quote, the LGBTQ agenda is to live. There can be no true life without the opportunity to fully enjoy love. Listen, Kevin. I couldn't agree more. That's why it's important for us to actually understand what love is. But of course, the implication with this tweet, the LGBTQ agenda is to live. Like if you, if you don't support the LGBTQ agenda, then all you want them to do is die, you hateful, hypocritical Christians. This is the idea. But listen, while I couldn't agree more that, um, that people should be able to truly love, we need to define what that love is so people can understand it. Kevin, this is the intolerant, tolerant left speaking again, again saying this, that disagreement is hate. So let me just be really clear. According to the biblical Jesus, and according to the Bible, and according to reason, disagreement is not hate. Disagreement is actually good. 
It's good for those who are on the wrong side of an issue because it's actually loving to correct them and helping them go the right way if they're going the wrong way. What? You're going the wrong way! I'm sorry, I always think about that clip whenever I, whenever I hear someone say going the wrong way. But listen, what, what if truly loving somebody means making room for adoring the good with, with passion, but with that same passion also hating the evil? What if loving people means making room for hate? I know that's an odd concept, but listen, we love John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But did you know in the very next verse it says that God condemns those who do not believe? I mean, in Matthew 15, Jesus gives this whole list of things. It's not just that Jesus came to hate on religious people like the progressive thinks, because they think if Jesus was here today, the only people he would, that he would have mean things to say anything about is the people that go to church. That's their actual impression, that Jesus comes to this earth with evil all around, and the only people he wants to point the finger at is people who go to church on Sunday. That's what Jesus would be after, rather than the fact that Jesus said things that, like, that, hey, there are things in your heart that defile you, that sexual immorality, lying, thievery, and slander, and all of these things, and these these things are to be condemned. Jesus will help you make th- sure that you're hating the right thing, in other words. He will rightly help you understand what love is. So if you're going to talk about love and you're going to talk about hate, make sure your love is big enough to account for the ways in which we must stand our ground on the issues that matter most. Because otherwise, not only will we fold like a cheap suit, but you cannot be said to actually be loving people if you're not actually stand, willing to stand up for that which is right. And that is exactly, in our final story, what Frank Pavone did. Now, if you remember the, the, this story or not, I'll give you a reminder one way or the other, because Frank Pavone is a pro-life hero. He's somebody who, for many, many years, has been leading uh, the premier pro-life organization in the in the Catholic Church. And not so long ago, he put a aborted fetus on what some people thought was a holy altar in the Catholic Church, and a lot of people were angry about that and thought that it was sacrilegious to do so. Um, but Frank Pavone went on the uh, Ben Shapiro guest show to uh, the Sunday special to kind of talk to Ben Shapiro what about what took place there. And I think what he has to say is incredibly eye-opening. Um, and so I want you just to kind of get a feel for uh, that conversation and uh, for, for what it holds. And then I'll I'll show a final clip that I think you really, really need to see. But, but here's just kind of a, a brief overview of the conversation. The Democrat Party destroying life, destroying religious freedom, destroying America, destroying our history, our memory, our symbols. When the church stands up and points with a very clear finger, this is evil, that's not the church being political. That's the church being the church. So from that conversation, I took away a couple of things that I, that I think are important. First of all, that what Frank Pavone did is, is loving in that he was loving that baby. Now, a lot of people had a problem with this. They said, you know, dealing with that dead body like that and putting that baby up there on display, you know, that baby couldn't consent to that. That baby's parents couldn't consent to that. You know, that's a violation of that that sanctity of life that you supposedly want to protect. Now, I could not disagree more with this point because I actually think that what Frank Pavone did by showing that aborted fetus on that social media post and putting it on that altar was an incredible act of love. Because you know what would have happened to that baby that was aborted? 
that fetus would have been thrown into the garbage bin like the millions of other babies that are aborted each year. So how does that respect the life of that child? What Frank Pavone did by placing that baby on the altar was perhaps one of the most benevolent things that could have been done for that baby. That baby potentially was used to help somebody realize the error of abortion. That that baby was used to 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 do something good in the world. And more importantly, that baby was recognized, whereas before it would have been thrown away and discarded like a piece of garbage. So there couldn't have been anything less loving than what happened to that baby before Frank Pavone came to the scene. And what Frank did was actually bring some dignity to that child's child's death. Now, I know there's going to be people who disagree with that because they hold very sanctimonious views about the Catholic Church and what you are and are not supposed to do with it. But, But frankly, I'm, you know, I'm an evangelical and I'm a uh, I'm a Protestant, so you you take that with a grain of salt, Catholics. But I'll just tell you this: um, that that altar, if it really was an altar in the first place, Frank says it wasn't. Um, if it was a really holy consecrated altar, then it was put to good use that day, uh, at least from from my point of view. And then I would just say the other thing is this: is that uh, what he did also was incredibly loving to the people who saw it. Whether you know it or not, what Frank did that day by showing you that aborted fetus was was a favor to you. Now, I personally don't know that I would would do that. I don't know that I would go to that extreme measure as Frank did. And I'm I'll, I'm I'll just be honest with you. I don't need to see an aborted fetus to actually understand that that child is alive. It makes me very sick to my stomach, and it makes me heart sick to see that stuff. And I try to avoid it at all costs because I understand that it is alive. I just I don't like seeing death. And in that way. So it isn't something I would have done, but make no mistake that the outrage that we have over that kind of stuff being placed on social media should pale in comparison to the outrage that we have over the hundreds of thousands verging upon millions of babies. Hopefully that'll change this year. Verging upon millions of babies that are aborted each year. That is the thing that should spark our ire so much so that we that we're not even phased too much. By this. And, and Frank Pavone is doing us a favor by reminding us of this, that that little baby on that altar is just one of hundreds of thousands of trials that will be aborted every single year. And though you may not like to be confronted with the reality of that child, and though it is gruesome, it helps you understand, hopefully, that there is a response that we need to have if we actually care about life and we care about love. And if we do, it is to stand for those kids. And it is to also speak about this as much as we possibly can and find as many ways to speak about it as we possibly can. Because we need to provide the hope that that people need to hear so that they won't have to go to these extreme measures. And so that they won't have to abort their child think that that, thinking that that will give them the hope that they're actually looking for. But unfortunately, Christians are far too closed-mouthed about this kind of stuff. We don't want to be confronted with these things. But, but love means telling others. Love means sharing as much as possible the truth whenever we can. And very often, however we can. We get hung up on the means and in the process very rarely actually do what we should be doing. But Frank Pavone has some powerful last words to share with us about why it is so important that we speak and we speak up on this issue, but also that we confront others lovingly with the truth. And here's what he has to say about that. And, and I point out to these clergy, I say, oh, hold on just a second. No doubt there are women in the congregation that have had abortions and no doubt they are in pain. But here's the issue. 
if they're sitting there and they never hear you talk about it, they're going to conclude either A, he doesn't know about my pain, B, he doesn't care, or C, he knows and cares, but there's no hope. There's nothing to be done. But we do know, we do care, and there is hope. So speak! I wanted to end the show with that because I think that is a beautiful syllogism. And it's something that we, especially as Christians, get wrong so very often. If we love people, we tell them the truth. If we love people, we care enough to confront them with the truth. Now, the way we do it, it's a different show. That we do it should be undeniable. We must do it. And here's why we must do it. Frank gives us three things. One, if we don't share the truth of God's love, if we're not willing to speak up and be bold enough to even say things that people may disagree with, then ultimately we're communicating to people that there is no hope. If we're not really willing to share the truth, it means there's no hope for you. And we leave people in the suicidal condition that much of our society is in today. And then the second thing is this, is that if we don't speak up, we may say, well, there is hope, but we're communicating subtly and non-verbally that that hope, it's, it's just not for you. Well, there is hope, that hope's for me, but it's not for you. See how selfish it is not to speak up in love of, about the things that, that need to be spoken up about? And then the third thing is this, is that if we don't speak up, we might be communicating there is hope and it is for you, but it's just not that great. It's not worth sharing, which is why true love also should encompass an understanding of telling people the truth, not just this sense of false unity and false agreement or just making people feel better about themselves or just affirming identities in other people that actually might be destructive to them and ultimately not fulfilling to them. How many detransitioners have to come back out before we understand that all of the love from progressive Christianity for the LGBTQ community is actually just self-love? It's self-congratulatory love. It's virtue signaling to make yourself feel better because you're better than all those other Christians who actually stand up for the truth. It's time that we reclaimed an understanding of love and that we understood that real love means doing things like what Frank Pavone did, and real love means standing up for the truth and declaring it as much as we possibly can. And in a world that doesn't want to hear love sometimes, we need a sledgehammer to do it. So yeah, speak the truth, speak it in love, but do it. And when you do it, that's how you'll have perhaps one of the greatest Valentine's Day you've had in your life. I hope this gives you the courage to do so. If it does, go down to the comment section. Let me know what you think. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. But most importantly, go with God. Thanks for watching.